an hour of truth for the battered but proud people of the Empire State. From the financial and entertainment epicenter of New York City to the sleeping and empty small cities and towns of upstate, which once bustled with manufacturing, mining, and farming. We all know from inspiration, history, and nature, we deserve a return to the success and growth of generations past, a birthright being squandered by corruption in Albany, and the depredations of an insecure, scheming mountebank posing as governor, who loathes both us and himself. As liberty beckoned to enslaved peoples behind the Iron Curtain via American broadcasts after World War II, we now say, believe, rise, and join us. Welcome to Radio Free New York. And let's see, here at the home base, you got uh, Bob D'Angelo in Mission Control, yours truly, and broadcasting from the super-secret Liberty Closet, uh, we have your host with the most, Andrew. Hey guys, how's it going? Welcome to Radio Free New York. I'm your host, Andrew Hollister, and uh, I was going to say, happy President's Day, um... But then I wanted to do a little research on President's Day, and I found out President's Day doesn't actually exist. Oh, wow. That's good to know. I can go to yeah. the bank now. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So so it's it's pretty interesting. Um, so I'll, I'll start off the show by giving you guys a little bit of background on what we call President's Day, um, what it really is, and kind of how it came to be. And then after that, we'll, uh, we'll roll into the show. There's actually some pretty interesting news uh, to discuss here on Radio Free New York today. Um, so President's Day started out as George Washington's birthday, um, and it was created as a federal holiday back in the 1870s, and it was one of the first federal holidays we ever had. Um, and really interesting thing about federal holidays, um, they're, they're frequently called national holidays, but they're act they actually only apply to the federal government in Washington DC. So any state um none of the states are required to honor federal holidays or national holidays. They just all have adopted them. So I, I thought that was pretty interesting. I read um this thing on Senate.gov that kind of explained how federal holidays work, how they were enacted, when they were enacted, and found out that nat what is often called national holidays are also kind of a made-up term it doesn't legally exist there's only federal holidays and they only apply to the federal government and uh, the district of columbia then all the states and the banks and the schools they can choose to adopt them if they wish but it's not like federally imposed or yeah when i was like a kid that. we used to have two holidays in february every uh you know, every February. Uh, you had uh, Lincoln's, which I think was the 12th, if I recall correctly. And I think Washington's birthday is the 22nd. And we got both of those days off individually, but there wasn't this big break week that the kids get now. And, and uh, by the way, I, I use this occasion to, to uh, in memory of my favorite president, Franklin Pierce. There, there you go. You know, um, so it's interesting that you say that, Bob, because... In 1968, Congress passed the Monday Holiday Law, and the Monday Holiday Law took all of the holidays, Washington's birthday being one of them, and kind of rearranged most of them into a long weekend format, um, moving the holiday to Monday. And you're, you're absolutely right. Before then, it was ce celebrated on the 22nd um, and Lincoln's birthday on the 12th. Um, 
And there was actually a lot of opposition to this. It's still passed, but people were really upset. They were like, no, like, why would we move our holidays off of the day they were meant to commemorate? Mm -hmm. And uh, maybe no surprise, despite opposition, it got passed anyways. Um, And I I couldn't find out specifically who was pushing for the change. Um, However, a lot of it seemed to be centered around laborers wanting a longer holiday. So I don't know if it was like a a union movement push or or what it was. Liberal Democrat thing. Yep. Yeah, it could be, could be. So <laughs> that's uh, so. So what's interesting though is, I, as I started reading about this, um, I found that President's Day doesn't actually exist. Um, during that 1968 movement, there was a proposal to change the name of Washington's birthday, which is actually the official federal holiday name for today is Washington's birthday. Um, there was a um, a proposal to change it to President's Day, and that did not pass. So it never actually officially or legally became President's Day. However, real retailers, they needed some reason to run a special to drive sales. Um, so retailers started calling it President's Day anyways. And lo and behold, if you look at most calendars, it even calls it President's Day now. There you go. Yeah, well, we'll just shove it through anyway when the people will just assume it's it's legit. Yeah, yeah. So, so to me, it's really interesting because it almost shows that um, the citizens in the market can take over and override government, right? Which, which is really interesting. That's exactly what's happened here. Most people probably don't even know that today is pre- or that today isn't President's Day. It's Washington's birthday. Um, because their calendar, their phone, the news and the retailers, um, and maybe even school, um, tell them differently. So uh, that would actually be pretty interesting. If you're a teacher listening to the show right now, I would love to know either comment in or call in, um, is, is today when you talk with your students, although they don't, they, they don't have school today. So I guess you're not talking with your students today. But when you talk to your students about this, you know, today being a day off, I think this week's break week, too. Yeah, they're, all, they're all, off all week. They're off all week. So, so, but they, so nowadays, you know, the kids are in contact with their teachers on social media all the time anyway. So Yeah, yeah. So if you're a teacher, did you wish your students a happy President's Day? Um, did you acknowledge the holiday at all? Did you call it George Washington's birthday? Um, what did the principal call it? Do, what did the administrators call it? Um, I, I would be really interested to know. I want to know, like, in the education system, uh, what is it being called? Because I don't remember anybody mentioning anything about it being George Washington's birthday when I was in school. Uh, but that was kind of a long time ago. So um, if you're a teacher, and I'm, I'm pulling up the comments right now, um everything let's see i i don't have anybody uh who's responding as a teacher but if you're a teacher call in 585-346-3000 that's 585-346-3000 i would love to know um what the school districts are calling today it would be interesting to see if uh and then if if they are calling today president's day does that mean that like the the free market won over government on this one. Let's that, try that this. I think is a good. Let's question. try this out. Use it as a uh, uh, a precedent for the Safe Act. That's why I'm thinking. Yeah. 
Yeah, so I don't know. I know I know Sean is actually he's listening to the show right now. Um he he's a substitute teacher, I think. So Sean, if if you're hearing this, uh you know, feel free to comment in. Do you know if the school calls it um the President's Day or do they call it George Washington's birthday? All right. So before we went on air and I know we've only got a few minutes Bob shared with me. Do we want to talk about the beer, Bob, or do we want to save that for next? Segment? We want to. We want to talk about uh, whatever you want to talk about. All right. Well, I, is two minutes enough? Sure. Uh, sure. Uh, All right. uh, source: New York Upstate dot com. That's uh, uh, nyup dot com. Does Governor Andrew Cuomo deserve to have a beer named in his honor? A Rochester brewery thinks so. This month, it's introducing a beer called the Governor's IPA. We're referring to Swiftwater Brewing in Rochester South Wedge neighborhood. It says it named the beer to mark the governor's role in passing the state's farm brewery law in 2012 and other measures that have helped the beer industry grow in the past eight years or so. The farm Farm brewery law in particular gives tax and fee cuts and reduces regulations on brewers who use a certain percentage of New York grown and processed ingredients in their beers. That law and others credited with boosting the state's beer industry, creating a surge that increased the number of breweries across the state from fewer than 100 in 2012 to more than 450 today. It's also benefited the state's hop and barley farmers and malting operations. So... Mm. So so what I heard in there is that they found out that if government imposed less taxes and less regulations and industry could be successful? Is, well, that, is that what I heard? Yeah, but it doesn't really work that way because there's no political you know, uh, upside uh, in that uh, for the ruling class. So what they do is they, 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 they kind of frame it in this, uh, well, you know, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll, give, we'll dole out preferences in terms of taxes – uh, and, picking winners and losers. Yeah, picking winners yeah. and losers, like like all the totalitarians do. So, uh, hence you have Cuomo beer. It costs too much. The use results in poor decision making. The tax skim is very high. Afterwards, you have a headache and you have the backyard trots. So, <laughs> there Cuomo you go. beer, There's ladies Cuomo and gentlemen. Beer for you. Yes. Oh, by, by, by the way, not very many people uh, can can get it. Only friends of the governor can buy it. Oh, there you go. Yep, yep. Well, you know, at what, $10,000 a plate or something? Yeah, something, yeah, right. (laughs) All right, you're listening to Radio Free New York. We're going to take a brief break. We'll be back in a moment. You're listening to Radio Free New York. Once again, to the Liberty Closet or the Liberty Attic or the Liberty Cellar, I can't remember which, uh, where Andrew Hollister is holding forth today. Yeah, we're, we're in the Liberty Studio today, Bob. That's, that's where we are, yep. So, uh, no, when Kevin does the show, he's, he's got a Liberty Attic and, and a Liberty Closet, which I actually got a chance to check out last week. Um, pretty cool setup he's got over there. Uh, so, yeah. Here we are. We're on Radio Free New York, and although today is not our national day to talk about national issues, and we are in New York State, um, I do want to give you guys an update on Virginia, because uh, you guys know we've been following some of these anti-Second Amendment bills that have been being proposed in Virginia. Uh, There's an update on some of that stuff today. So we're going to get to that. But before I do, I see there's two comments here that I want to share with you guys. Uh, One is from Sean. He said they don't talk about today being President's Day or George Washington's birthday. Um, It's just winter recess. So 
a little bit of a buzzkill there. I was hoping for something better, but winter recess, I remember being pretty awesome growing up and having a week off. So I guess, uh, guess we'll take it. Yeah. You guys get, uh, out there in public schools, you get a lot more time off than we used to. I'll tell you that, and especially when it comes to snow days. I mean, they never in Livonia central, they never called snow days ever. Mm, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, um, I grew up in the city, so and I didn't have a bus, so I, I don't know how that was. I always walked, no matter how cold it was. Um, I lived, ironically, like 1.49 miles away from the school, and you had to be at 1.5 miles to qualify for a bus. And I was, like, right on the edge, so they're like, no bus for you, which was fine. I, I think, you know, walking to school, riding my bike to school um, – I didn't have a problem with that. That I think it was good for me. Yeah, but, in, the, uh, in the village of Livonia, they didn't provide bus service if you were over, I think, at third grade or second grade or something. It was just up to you to get your butt to school. So, yeah, sometimes my mom would give me a ride in on her way to work, and sometimes I'd walk. Yeah, yeah, no, that's awesome. Um, so one of the things Garrett brings up about uh, Cuomo's tax cuts for the brewing industry is that he's pandering to an industry that is successful with or without those tax breaks. Um, and, yeah, I, I would agree. I mean, if there is any industry that's going to stand uh, the test of time, I, I think there's a few of them, right? Uh, and the alcohol industry, the beer industry, I think is is one of them. They, they can't get rid of that industry. We even had Prohibition, right? They couldn't get rid of it then either. Um, I, I think that rolls over to, uh, drugs as well, whether recreational or medicinal, it's an industry you'll never be able to kill. Um, so yeah, Cuomo, Cuomo was certainly pandering to a successful industry because he knew they were going to be successful either way. Absolutely. It's called, uh, jumping in front of the parade at, and, uh, once it gets underway and looking like you're leading it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, absolutely. That's what's happening there for sure. So let's let's talk about Virginia a little bit. I want to give you guys um, just a, a brief update because this morning, um, actually, let me let me take one step back and just tell you guys in case this is your first time listening to the show or maybe you've been listening to the show but we haven't talked about Virginia um, probably in the last couple of weeks, so maybe you don't know what's going on. Um, Virginia has proposed a number of anti-Second Amendment bills. I, I want to say eight of them altogether, if I recall. And everything from, like, something that's basically the SAFE Act, but even more restrictive, um, all the way through limiting handgun purchases to once a month, um, allowing, like, counties and municipalities to ban um, guns in public public buildings and public parks, which, by the way, we have that here in Monroe County, um, which is very frustrating. We can talk more about that as it comes up. Uh, a red flag bill, a safe storage bill, you know, all, all of these they proposed. And this morning, I believe it was this morning, uh, the Safe Act style bill died in committee. So... That, that is a, well, that's good a news. win. Yes. Yeah. No, it's it's very good news. Um, but I say it kind of with that, like, but uh, let's be really cautious about this. Let's, let's pay attention to it. Let's see what happens. Because essentially what happened was um, they want they, – they, they said they're going to shelve it for a year and ask the state crime commission to study the issue. Um, 
which means probably somebody's buddy is going to get a contract and get rewarded somehow um, to analyze this issue. And then in a year from now, maybe people are paying attention, maybe they aren't. Um, they're going to bring this back and they're going to try to pass it again. And um, so, so I wanted to start off with that. Um, the vote actually included four what they're calling moderate Democrats voted against it as well. Um, I don't have a list of who those are, what makes them moderate, what makes the other ones not moderate. I'm not sure. Um, but what I do have is some statements from uh, Governor Northam and his uh, his team here. Because this was one of his big bills. This is one of his big pushes. He was going to get this passed. It was going to happen. He ran on this. Um, so the response from his office is, while the governor is disappointed in today's vote, he fully expects the crime commission to give this measure the detailed review that the senators called for. We will be back next year. Um, so with that being said, they're definitely not giving up this fight. They plan on moving forward. If they have to wait a little bit, they'll play the long game and try to pass this again. And they released another statement saying, despite today's votes, the government, or sorry, despite today's vote, the governor is proud of the several common sense gun safety measures that continue to advance. These bills represent historic steps forward in keeping Virginians safe from gun violence. Make no mistake, they will save lives. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Just just like, for example, the SAFE Act here in New York prevented that uh, multiple felon from shooting a couple of New York City cops last week. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, we were, we were told that, the, oh, yeah, the SAFE Act is going gonna, gonna to stop all this, this, this bad shooty stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, laws and regulation don't stop that. It's about it's disarming the population. Stuff. That's what it's about. Yeah, It's about absolutely. control. That's that's what gun control is. It's not about guns. It's about control. Yeah. So with with that being said, um, this is kind of like a small win. So small celebration, small win. Like, hey, this didn't happen. Um, however, there there have been other bills that have passed. Um, they haven't been signed into law this week, but it's looking like that's going to happen. Um, one of those is limiting handgun purchases to one per month. Um, which is just one of those things that you look at, and they're calling this common sense gun control, right? And you think about common sense, and you think, well, how many pistols can somebody really use in a crime anyways? <laughs> you it's know? ridiculous. Like, it's just one of those things. It's so like, we're going to make sure you can only buy one a month. And it's like, okay, I would love to know how many crimes have been committed where somebody's dual wielding or multi-wielding like just a, a bunch of pistols and and that's how the crime happened and not only that if you were so inclined you could always use you know like january's gun along with your february gun in yeah. the com- in the commission of that crime mm-hmm. i mean the, the the you know guns are not like ice cubes you know where they, they like they just they, <laughs> they just disappear if you don't use them after a couple of weeks i mean uh. it's a dumb law it's of course the whole thing is dumb it's all about the appearance of creating safety. Yeah, and, and that's what this is. You know, we did a show um, probably a couple months back now where we talked about government security theater. And that's something I would definitely recommend you guys go, you know, go to the Andrew C. Hollister YouTube page, search uh, security theater, and and pull up that episode and just listen to all the different ways that government 
plays this perception of security, this perception of safety, um, when really it not only doesn't make you safer, um, but it, it gives a very false illusion and sense of security when it doesn't exist, and it makes things more dangerous um, because people think that they're protected when they're not, and as a result, they don't protect themselves, and when they don't protect themselves, they get taken advantage of. Um, so in my opinion, a very, very big issue that we face today is government security theater. Um, uh, so some of the other things that are expected to pass into law in Virginia this week in regards to Second Amendment items, uh, what they're calling universal background checks on gun purchases. Um, I'm going to be honest, I didn't have a chance to read this one, but I can't imagine what this could possibly be because we've had the NIC system since the 90s. We already have universal background checks. So this idea that they're going to pass universal background checks, we already have this on a federal level. So what what are they doing? Probably nothing. It's it's just a bunch of talk at this point. Well, if they yeah, I mean if they impose more restrictions on purchase of weapons, that'll be something. Yeah, I mean on top of NICs. And so that's that's to be guarded against because it's just, you know, the, what they try to do is create this impenetrable thicket of uh, regulations and rules that make it that much more difficult to uh, t- to buy guns. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. But I, I think what it is is, is, is just pandering. Um, but I'll tell you what. Over the break, I'm going to look at the, the language, and when we come back, I'll tell you guys exactly what it is so we know for sure. And uh, we'll take a break right now. We're listening to Radio Free New York. We'll be back in a moment. You're listening to Radio Free New York. On this President's Day, Radio Free New York, uh, if you're uh, uh, watching in one of our uh, video platforms online, you'll get to see the, the full effect of Andrew Hollister in the Liberty Studios with the Radio Free New York dancers uh, performing behind him. <laughs> yeah, there you go. You know, it's kind of funny. I was uh, talking with Kevin about how dull the background is behind me right now. So we're uh, we're gonna have to fix that. May- maybe we'll get some Liberty dancers. Who who knows what we'll get? <laughs> but uh, exactly, you know, like in the like in the go go cages. You know, doing yeah. the, doing the frug. There, there you go. Yep, absolutely. Um, so before we went to break, we were talking about just a Second Amendment update in Virginia. What's going on there? Um, I did get a chance to pull up the universal background check bill for you guys. There's, there's quite a bit of changes in here. Um, but essentially, it looks like the law makes it so that you can't do a firearms transfer without a background check and they left it really open-ended um at least from what i'm reading here at just real quick read um is that they're going to direct the state police to figure out how this process is going to work so they didn't create the process they're just saying it's going to happen the state police is going to figure it out my gut tells me they're going to say use the nick system that's what we're already using but i could be wrong i mean this could open the door for something um, really terrible and awful. Um, I I just couldn't say for sure. I mean, in my opinion, it's already bad. 
Um, but I don't know how bad it's going to be. Well, the, the, the prob- problem say. is that the, we've had uneven uh, implementation of the NIC system in various different states. One of the chief offenders, by the way, being New York State. So if you don't participate fully in the universal background check system, which already exists, and if the states are not coordinating with each other in terms of you know trying to ferret out uh, people who would be you know, to to any reasonably minded person, a prohibited possessor, then you're going to – look, any universal background check system, whether it's NICS or whether it's some new thing that uh, Governor Abortham has, has thought up, uh, is is going to be only as successful as how well it's, it's executed and enforced. Sure. Yeah, well, and I, I think that we can all probably agree that government isn't good – at any of those things, <laughs> right? Not I mean, so far. Yeah, I mean, they're they're always over budget. They're always past due. They're always really, really inefficient. Um, you know, so yeah, government is just not good at that sort of stuff. And I think it's just because of how it's set up, and you know, things are mandated, so they have to be done. Um, but they don't have to be done well. And since people are forced to be customers of government. They don't need good customer service either. No accountability. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, so a few other things that look like are going to be enacted in law this week for Virginia. These are Second Amendment related. Um, the next item on the list is allowing localities to ban guns in public buildings, public parks, um, which is something that we have right now in Monroe County, unfortunately. Yeah, in the parks. Uh, yeah, we have it in the parks. They did try to ban it in the county buildings um, a couple of years back. And that actually got, um, it, it never got passed, which was which was great. It was like, okay, good. Um, can we get things resolved in the parks? Uh, we have not had that resolved yet in Monroe County, which uh, is very frustrating. By the way, our good friends with uh, GOANY have approached all of the Monroe County legislators. They have had meetings with all 15 of the Republicans on the county ledge. Uh, talking to them about repeal of this of this measure. So this is fresh in their minds, and this would be a great opportunity, now that we've brought it up, for you to talk to your county legislator, whoever's representing you, wherever you're listening to us, and say, listen, uh, this is the opportunity. While you guys got the majority here, let's uh, let's repeal this dopey, this dopey regulation, which is not being enforced anyway, by the way. Yeah, no, absolutely. And the other thing that we need to do, make sure you're not just reaching out to your Republican representatives. Reach out to the Democrats, too, and here's why. Um, They hold a majority in the legislature, but Adam Bellows has still got to sign it. And the only way to bypass him, which I don't know where he stands right now on the issue, um, if if he doesn't sign it, it dies anyways. Unless we have enough, and I, I forget exactly what the count is, that you would need to bypass the county exec signature. It varies county by county. Um, we got to have as many people on board as possible. And I know that there's people who think, oh, the Democrats, they're only for gun control. You know, I've actually spoken to some of the Democrats, and they oppose it in some ways more than the Republicans. It's kind of embarrassing. Um, and I've spoken with the Republicans about this a number of times and saying, uh, your Democrat counterparts are better on the Second Amendment than you are. That's it's pretty shameful. That's scary. Uh, yeah. No, it is. It is. And I think it goes back to this party tribalism. People just assume if you're a Democrat, you're anti-Second Amendment. And if you're a Republican, you're pro-Second Amendment. Um, I can tell you in Monroe County, I've ran into multiple instances where that's just simply not the case. Um 
So talk to all of your elected representatives. And that doesn't go for just Monroe County. Guaranteed this is happening in your county, your town, whether you're in New York State or anywhere else. Um, just because somebody carries a party banner doesn't mean that they actually believe in those values or vote in those values. Um, and we've seen that like time and time again. So we can't continue to fall for it. We have to hold these people accountable and continue to push them time and time again. Yeah, that issues. applies to our friends in Chemung and Stabend counties where you're listening to us on The Patriot. 1230 and 1450 and uh, Associated FMs. Also, uh, Barry Virch Country up in uh, Wayne County where there's a WACK 1420 and 96.9. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And anybody listening on the Internet, too, wherever you are, um, you know, the one of the best things you can do as somebody who has the ability to vote is to go out to those elected officials and be in communication with them. Let them know that you're paying attention to what they're doing, um, especially right now. Because I tell you what, in about a week, candidates are going to, who are up for election this year have to go and start circulating petitions to get their name on the ballot. That means all the Republicans are going to be out asking uh, Republican voters, hey, will you sign so my name can be on the ballot? All the Democrats are going to be going out asking Democrat votes, hey, will you sign here so that my name can be on the ballot? Same with the Libertarian Party, same with the Green Party, Working Families Party. All of these candidates, starting in, in just about a week, have to get enough signatures to get their names on the ballot for their local, county-wide, and district-wide offices. This is a great time to track these people down while they're trying to get on the ballot for re-election or for a new election and say, hey, this is what's really, really important for me. If you can't stand for this issue, you can't have my signature. And if you get on the ballot anyways and you can't stand for this issue, guess what? You're not getting my vote. I'll campaign against you for the other guy just on this principle. And this is how we start having these conversations and moving the needle in the right direction. Because I tell you what, the direction New York State is going right now is not a good direction. No, it's horrible. It's, uh, you know, I mean, it's just, uh, it's this tribal, you know, third world governance uh, with uh, where everything originates from the governor, gets attached to the budget process and gets ramrodded through regardless of the the wishes of the electorate. Yeah, yeah. And, And the other thing to know, too, is if there's a candidate running in your district on your party, I don't care what party you're in. And they aren't representing the issues. They aren't on the right side of the issues. You can very easily get that same petition and petition to have your name on the ballot. And you can primary that person. And from that alone, that will start scaring these officials into start doing the right thing. Because I'll tell you what, most of these elected officials, they care about one thing and one thing only. Maintaining their power and getting reelected. The minute something starts to threaten that, they reassess. That's why you see these people who you thought were good on the issues, and all of a sudden they take a hard turn left or a hard turn wherever, they do a complete 180. That That's because they care more about their re-election than they do making actual change. And I'm, I'm not saying that about every issue. Sometimes there's issues where people are just totally uneducated, and once they actually see the numbers, see the information, or have a good conversation with a voter like you who educates them on the issue, sometimes they'll make good, right changes for the right reasons. Um, But from what I've seen, usually that's not what it is. It's the voters saying, hey, you won't get elected if you do this. And that's what they listen to. So now's a really good time to do that. 
Guys, you're listening to Radio Free New York. We're going to take a brief break. When we come back, we're going to talk about a bill proposed to reject unconstitutional federal laws. We'll talk about that in a moment when we come back on Radio Free New York. New York. Now visible via all kinds of uh, video platforms online, you can see uh, Andrew Hollister and all of his new face tats on there. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, uh, if you if you want to see my uh, my cool face tats, you know, he- head over to the YouTube or Facebook page, click on the live stream. Uh, you won't be disappointed, or, or maybe you will. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, well, it depends <laughs> on what you expect. I mean, you know, yeah. can't please everybody. Yeah, exactly. So uh, so you're listening to Radio Free New York. I'm your host, Andrew Hollister, and this next bill is brought to you by the people of South Dakota. Um, now, I, I'm going to be honest with you guys. I don't know much about the politics going on in South Dakota. Um, it's not a state that comes up in the news very often. It's not a state that I've done a whole lot of research on. Um, but they proposed a bill that caught my attention that I wanted to share with you guys, um, for, for a few reasons, and we'll, we'll get to those. Um, but what's interesting about this bill is it's a, a bipartisan coalition of six Republicans and Democrats, and they introduced House Bill 1261, um, which is titled the United States Constitution Enforcement and Integrity Act. Um, and essentially what what this bill does is it creates a committee to, re, to review the constitutionality of any federal action. And if it finds that the federal government passed a law that their committee deems unconstitutional, um, they will not enforce it in their state. Um, so, so this is kind of interesting because people wonder, well, is this possible? Can it be done? Is, is it legal to do this? And it, there is legal standing for this already. And it's the same legal standing that has been used to create, um, sanctuary cities, counties, towns, and states, um, in terms of federal immigration, so they're using essentially the same legal standing, uh, calling it's called the anti-commandeering doctrine, which simply put basically says the federal government cannot force states to help implement or enforce any federal act or program. So what South Dakota is proposing is they create this committee, and if any laws come through from the federal government, say uh, a ban on certain firearms. Or, or anything like that, um, if their committee finds it to be unconstitutional, they will no longer um, allow enforcement of state agencies on in, in this law. So does, it, does that make sense? Did I explain that well, Bob? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Okay. All right, cool. It, it felt kind of like a long ramble. So, so essentially, um, to me, this is a pretty cool step forward, and I think that more states should do this. My worry is... Um, and, and my, I'm not so worried with, with South Dakota based on how this is being presented. It's being presented as a bipartisan effort. Um, so I think that their, their thought process is going in the right direction. 
what I worry is other states will look at this and think, oh, you know what? We hold the majority in our state. We'll use this committee to enforce some laws and not others based on whatever political party we're in instead of what's actually constitutional and unconstitutional. Well, that's that's the whole danger of, of doing all this stuff like sanctuary uh, you know, uh, jurisdictions, whether it's mm-hmm. cities or counties or, or whatever, is it sets the precedent for the states to march off in their own direction and do whatever they want. Um, so, you know, this it it's a you're right. I mean, it's a double edged sword. It, if it works, if it works well for our arguments for the things that we believe in, the radical left will adopt the same arguments. Yeah, yeah. And I I think overall this could be a really good thing. I just worry it's going to be misused and abused as well. Um, Sounds like we've got a caller on the line. We've got uh, Eric from Angelica. Hey, guys. Can you hear me? Can hear you. Yes, go ahead. Yeah, you stole my thunder a little. I was just going to mention this is a double-edged sword because who's going to be on that committee that decides? The same corrupt people that gave us these problems? And it illustrates why. See, now... If you have to have a committee that uh, kind of guarantees your constitutional protection, what happened to the courts? They're supposed to do that, but they cannot be counted on to do the right thing. They're completely corrupt in the pocket of the bar. So the courts, when you can't count on the courts, what if the committee says that's constitutional and we know it's not? Where do you go then for recourse when the committee has rubber-stamped an unconstitutional law? Where do you go? Courts are corrupt. The committee makes their decision, then you have no recourse. It all comes down to no compliance, no enforcement. Is this not also uh, somewhat redundant of the Tenth Amendment, too? I mean, you know, the power is not delegated to the U.S. by the Constitution, nor prohibited to it by the states or reserved to the states, respectively. So isn't it, I mean, isn't it kind of like another? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm always scared of that word committee. It's like the word community. It's all a runoff from the word communism. You live in a neighborhood, not a community. Public servants are public servants, not elected officials. We have to be careful about our words. You never want to be called a person, always one of the people, or a living man or woman. And there's a legal reason for that, because when you get into court and they can identify you as a fiction called a person, look up the definitions of person, you will find that you're not going to get any constitutional remedy in the courts today. Good point. Thanks, guys. Take care. Okay, thanks. Thank you for your call. Uh, by the way, yeah. that line is open for you at 585-346-3000. Go ahead, Andrew. Yeah, you know, and I, I think Eric brings up a, a, a glaring point, which is why do we need a committee to protect the Constitution? You know, like why are we in this situation as as citizens of the United States of America where – we're supposed to have a government restrained by the Constitution. Well, that's and, a, that, and that's, you just put your finger on the problem. The problem is now we have to ratchet it up uh, a degree because we have a political, a significant political slice out there on the spectrum who believe, and they are teaching their kids this in our public schools, that the Constitution is this outmoded piece of paper that was enacted by old white slave owners. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's and that's that's just the thing is that as history goes on, as we move forward in society, we are constantly losing more and more of our rights. And now we you know, we we thought that 
the Supreme Court would be the one to protect us, right? Well, probably people thought that Congress and the president would be the ones obeying the Constitution and protecting it, but clearly that hasn't happened. So then we feel like, okay, well, at least, you know, the uh, Supreme Court will be there. The Supreme Court will keep us safe and protect us. And, and now, you know, there's so many cases lined up and the court has to choose what cases they will take, what cases they won't take. It could be years, if not decades, before a case gets taken. So now we have to create another layer of bureaucracy, a, a, a committee to determine at the state level what may or may not be constitutional because these elected officials, these public servants, are breaking their oath of office on a daily basis and infringing on the Constitution. So now we need a committee to determine that before it can make it to the uh, Supreme Court. I mean, this is this is just a bad situation to be in. Yeah, we kind of, kind of, it's, it's a sad commentary that we kind of need to have this uh, society, this star chamber to protect the Constitution. But really, it's starting to come down to that. Because you just see instance after instance of these state legislatures passing things that they know are unconstitutional, but they just don't care. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and I think something that's been really broken in our system is how long it takes to get a court case going, how long it takes to get through a court case, how long court cases get battled, and how expensive they are. Because the, these elected officials, they know this, right? So they pass a law knowing very well that it will be too costly for most people to oppose it in court, and it'll take far too long to get it repealed. And even if it's repealed in court, that doesn't mean it actually comes off the books, which means you could still be arrested for it. You could still be prosecuted for it, still go through a trial. And then in trial, you could say, well, there's case law here that said that this is unconstitutional. But how deep do you go with legal fees and expense uh, and taxpayer expense before that happens? Right. You know, it could be pretty deep. Yeah, witness the round limit uh, for a number of, of uh, rounds you can have in your mag under uh, the New York Safe Act. You know that uh, the case law seems to have rolled that back to ten, but the but the law is still on the books. So mm -hmm. you're constant su constantly subject to possibly having to relitigate this at your own expense. Yeah, well, and not just that. There's a lot of question of does that only cover the Western New York district? And if you travel to another part of the state, um, would you still be able to go to court? And would that decision be honored? Or would a judge look at that differently because the jurisdiction of that court case wasn't even statewide? Um, puts us in a really bad spot, guys. Just a, a really bad spot. So uh, you're listening to Radio Free New York. I'm Andrew Hollister, and I will see you guys tomorrow, same time, same place.